Hello, I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Uh, through uh, various sundry scheduled changes and like that, we haven't been able to... Uh, talk about the new uh, last year yet uh, like to sort of cover what were the important events and trends and things that may affect this coming year Jim what are you what do you see was most important about last year uh, well we did a piece in the strategy page uh, at the beginning of January about you know, the top 10 items uh, <laughs> there was only one that Austin and I disagreed on that was Korea but I would I would argue that Korea in, in last year was more a part of uh, uh, the China threat uh, because Korea, uh, if they go to war, it's suicide. Uh, and there's and they're and they're a great. That, I mean, I cover Korea regularly, uh, so I'm sort of up to my neck in this. Um, and uh, you, you you hear some news. Uh, in the in the mass media, you know, reports about you know the, the guy getting across uh, the DMZ and having you know uh, un, un, unforeseen bugs in his stomach and what have you, uh, tapeworms. Um, but we cover it regularly. And uh, the thing about Korea is it's 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 all it's it's all it's all smoke and no fire. Uh, their their military and their entire you know, society is falling apart. It's been falling apart slowly. Now, people poo-pooed that uh, because, they, well, you know, they've been saying Korea is going to collapse, you know, for decades. Well, that's true. Um, and uh, they've said the same thing about Cuba. Uh, and, uh, and Cuba makes threats, but not as eloquently and, and as, uh, you know, uh, relentlessly as, uh, you know, the Kim family. Um uh, and people are more familiar with Cuba. I mean, Cuba's right there, and we have a lot of Cubans, you know, uh, living in in the United States, and we could get a regular resupplies, as it were. Uh, but North Korea is different, and I think that's important to to take into account because the main uh, fear with Korea is China was China's reaction, not not what North Korea, you know, harm they will do, but how China will react to it. Because what China is worried about is not a military threat, but a uh, how should I put it? a domestic problem, with uh, you know uh, millions of North Koreans flooding into uh, into North into China, and China having no place to send them back to. I mean, uh, China has been dealing with this problem for for decades, uh, for two decades at least, uh, and if it becomes too noxious, they just send them back to uh, North Korea, where a lot of these people are executed. Uh, but if there's no government in North Korea, what are you going to do with it? Uh, but anyway, minor difference. What went on in the, the 2017? Well, ISIL was uh, allegedly defeated. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, it's still out there. In fact, we did a Mali update uh, today, and there's a new uh, branch of uh, ISIL in, of all places, uh, North Africa. Um, well, actually, there's been one sort of in, in Algeria for two years now. But it, it sort of disappeared. I mean, it's barely there. And we report that regularly, you know, so we're watching. Uh, the other one is down in uh, Burkina Faso uh, and Niger. And in fact, these were the guys who took credit for attacking the, um, uh, the special American Special Forces uh, advisors in, uh, back in October uh, 2017. Anyway, it's still there. And the reason it's still there is because it's the nature of Islam. Uh, this, this, these outbreaks of, uh, of Islamic, you know, radicalism uh, are not unique. They're they're basically part of Islam. They've been going on for over a thousand years, uh, and ISIL has uh, is, is a manifestation of the late 20th and 21st century version of Islam, powered by uh, unprecedented uh, communications technology and and cheaper trans international transportation, plus the fact that the uh, the uh, the Arabian states and and, and Iran uh, have received over a trillion dollars in oil revenue 
since the 1970s. I mean, they were receiving this revenue since before uh, World War II. It really got going after World War II. But then they formed a cartel and up the price. And bingo, they got all this money to spend. And where does a lot of it go? It goes to religious instruction and to what they call religious charities, which in, in many cases, and even the Arabians, Saudi Arabians admit this now, they are simply fronts uh, for uh, Islamic terrorist organizations. Anyway, ISIL is still there, and if not ISIL, uh, what the next version of ISIL calls itself, because like I say, it's been coming and going uh, for over a thousand years. Syria is supposed to be over the civil war. It's not. <laughs> you can see that with what's going on with the uh, uh, you know the, the Turks. In fact, I think uh, I'm doing another top ten piece on you know the most uh, likely wars in uh, in uh, 2018, and I've got uh, an old favorite that <laughs> that uh, Austin used to cover, Kurdistan. Uh, we haven't been covering them as as a unitary, you know, as as a stand, as a as a single country, because it's basically been uh, a a Kurdish problem in, in four different countries. Uh, but now it's 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 becoming more of a unified threat, as it were. At least that's that's what the Turks describe it as. But you have the fact that the United States has has basically uh, guaranteed, not guaranteed, while they are staying in northeastern. Um, uh, Syria, uh, which is the homeland, as it were, of the Syrian uh, Kurds, uh, and basically uh, they we are staying there mainly to keep the Iranians out, not because we want to uh, foment any any false hopes among the Kurds that we're going to help them, uh, you know, form their uh, uh, their independent Kurdistan, which we we promised them basically <laughs> after World War One. But um, uh, there's another Jim, one of those... Jim, could I make a comment on this? Sure. Yeah, I think it's really appropriate on this one. Yeah, we did cover it uh, for years. I think we called it Kurd War or Kurdish yeah, War. Kurd War. It was yeah. a, a Kurdish War, and it was primarily set in a, uh, a framework of Turkey uh, versus the Kurdistan Workers' Party. With yes. some of the PJAC and the YDP in Syria. I'm not going to get down the woods. I don't want to interrupt you on this. But it would be, I'm just saying this out here in front of our audience, uh, uh, an interesting war to turn back, except it's going to be multivalent. And you're going to see it's kind of the Kurds surrounded would be a way to look at it. And you'd be covering uh, very interesting aspects of uh, Iran, Iraq. Uh, Syria and Turkey as well. So in fact, in fact, in fact, that's a good point. Something we might resurrect uh, in 2018 is uh, is a new area uh, instead of you know uh, the Kurdistan war is Turkey because as Austin Austin is really the house expert on on Turkey because he's written books about it. Uh, but uh, the the current Sultan, I mean President Erdogan, uh, has is really going you know big time. In, in reestablishing, you know, the empire, uh, the latest deal is a uh, is a uh, is setting up a naval base on an island uh, in the Red Sea. Uh, now it's it's that's supposed to be for military purposes, but yada yada. Anyway, it gets curiouser and curiouser. Uh, you know, uh, Turkey has a base in, in Somalia. They have another base in Qatar. You see a pattern here. Um, but anyway, that's, that's this year, last year, uh, that was there, the business with Turkey and their animosity towards the Kurds and their problem, their internal problems with Mr. Erdogan. Uh, you know, we keep talking about, should we kick, you know, Turkey out of NATO? Uh, this is a serious problem. Uh, it, it was pretty serious with, uh, with Syria. Uh, because the the Turks invaded, as it were, they they sent troops in uh, in uh, in the, it's late 16, 2016, and and more of them in 17. They basically taken control over at least half of the uh, the border area, um, and uh, so they're still going to be fighting. The rebels are still active. Uh, the uh, the and of course the most salient point here is Iran is trying to establish. A, a, a how should I put it basis? Uh, they, they want they always supported Syria. Uh, that was a side effect of the 1980s war because the, uh, the Syria was run by the um, uh, one half of the Ba'ath Party, 
and and they happen to be uh, the Assad family happened to be Shia versus the Sunni branch of the Ba'ath Party in Iraq. Uh, but uh, now the Iranians want to do something that even the Assads don't like, and that is set up shop in in Syria. And uh, that means the war is going to continue. Now, another one, which was important and will probably lead to a, a, a new section for Venezuela in 2018, and that is Colombia finally subdues La Violencia. That's their 50-, 60-year-old war. Actually, it's been going on since the, on and off since the late 19th century. But this is endemic violence, endemic political violence. Uh, partially, it's landowners versus you know, farmers. Uh, you know the old feudalism problem, which has been in uh, uh, in Latin America, uh, you know, forever, for centuries. I mean, even before the Spanish showed up, it was a feudal structure, and to a certain extent, the uh, uh, the Spanish took it over and didn't really try to reform it. Anyway, the uh, uh, Colombia is the uh, success story uh, in in Latin America, which is rare. They basically subdued. And uh, not shut down the, the, the coke trade, uh, but they, they forced a lot of it to move out. And now that they have subdued the leftist rebels, uh, there are two of them. One has signed a treaty. The other is in the midst of negotiating at the smaller organization. Um, and uh, they're basically turning you know, towards the, 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 uh, uh, the, the drug cartels. Now, this is important because we have a similar problem in Afghanistan. Which is going to be a a, a major you know uh, area we're going to be covering we have been covering but uh, in 2018 because the problem you have in Afghanistan is that it's, it is now the source and has been the source for several decades now of most of the world's heroin and that's because the heroin trade was driven out of first Burma uh, then Pakistan and now it's set up uh, uh, you know camp in Afghanistan and wherever it goes just like the coke trade. Uh, it basically distorts the the local political situation, and you and you basically have the problem of a potential uh, you know narco state, uh, which no country in its right mind wants. That's why it got booted out of Burma, which was a military dictatorship, then out of Pakistan, which was a sort of a military dictatorship, and now into Afghanistan, which people fear will turn into a military dictatorship or a religious one. All right, the other uh, big development in um, in 2017, which didn't get as much coverage as that should have, was the emergence of the F-35 as a super fighter. I mean, you know, it was a turkey, you know, and to many people it still is. But, and this is a problem we've covered for decades, is how uh, new weapon systems are reported. Some of them are indeed turkeys, and reported or not, they get canceled, like the Comanche helicopter, you know, some anti-aircraft systems. But a lot of them are just going through their teething problems, um, uh, and uh, you know, and but the the the, the, the basics are, are 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 sound, and that when it emerges at the other end of the tunnel, as it were, uh, the uh, you know the uh, the users, and in this case, I'm talking mostly about the foreign users, in particular um, Israel, which is which is the first country, well, not the first foreign country, uh, to set up a uh, an operational F-35 unit, and uh, they are not hiding their 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 happiness, as it were, with the F-35, because uh, – and they basically – they're not just, you know, uh, uh, trying to flatter us, as it were, uh, because there's a, it's a two-way street in terms of military technology between Israel and the United States. Um, and uh, they have basically made some modifications, which they do to all American aircraft that they in, in, in import uh, warplanes. Uh, but – uh, the, a lot of the base technology in the F-35 uh, came first from Israel, like the the the, uh, the smart you know uh, helmet, as it were, that displays the, the, the look and shoot, as it were. The whole that, that was Israeli, um, and um, they have uh, they have basically pointed out that the what the information fusion, the ability of molten, uh, uh, additional sensors, and the sensors are much more powerful. Uh, to basically be uh, to collect all this information and to organize it usefully, again using you know the the, the software uh, to uh, to basically help the pilot not get in the way, which that sort of thing has done in the past, um, uh, makes the plane enormously more useful. And the Russians were extremely eager 
for the Israelis to uh, jump in with their their F-35I, as they call it, uh, to see just how bad it is for Russia um, or any competing aircraft they have. Uh, And apparently the Israelis haven't done that so far in in 2017, but they might in 2018. And uh, I don't think that'll be a breakthrough item in in 2018, but it's something that people should uh, uh, watch. The the other thing we considered a major, uh, you know, military development in uh, 2017 was the the Arabs and the Israelis unite. I mean, not not like Israel has with Jordan, uh, you know, make peace deals and uh and egypt um but basically with the uh, the the arabian countries you know the core arabian countries saudi arabia and the united arab emirates the uae um the uh the gulf cooperation council which includes qatar which leans more towards well it's more independent that's another story which wasn't really a major development uh it's just another family feud in arabia which is nothing new um but the fact that the Arabs and the Israelis are admitting that, or the Arabs especially, that we need Israel. <laughs> we need Israel as a friend more than as the designated punching bag, which they've been doing with Israel you know, for the last 70 years or even longer. Uh, the problem you're seeing there, and you'll see it again in 2018, and we're not going to – we probably won't cover it as a major you know, development in 2018, uh, is that uh, – uh, and, 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 and it's – Good news that the new crown prince knew well he's going to be king soon because his his, his father is apparently on his last legs as it were and and, and willing and, and and willing to abdicate as it were, which shows you know that the Saud family hasn't completely run out of gas. Uh, the, the founder Abdulaziz Saud in the twenties, uh, in the well he he was in that uh, what was that movie uh, Lawrence of Arabia, he was uh, sort of featured there as a presence. Um, uh, Anthony, was, Anthony Quinn is, I believe, is the actor who played him. He right, right, and that and that pleased the Arabs no, no, uh, no, uh, you know, uh, no little bit because he's a, he was a big hero because he did amazing things, and it was disappointing but not unexpected that his forty-eight or forty-seven sons, uh, who uh, you know some of them succeeded him, uh, weren't able to match. They, but they were able to hang on, as it were. But now there's a new generation. Uh, the 32-year-old crown prince who's basically shaking things up big time. And uh, he didn't invent this business about going public with Israel, but basically he pushed it through, plus letting women drive cars. You know, things we take for granted. Women can go to sporting events uh, and all sorts of stuff. But the problem is, and, and he's aware of it. I've I, I got to admire this guy. I mean, you know, he's well he's well educated. He is pretty sharp. Um you know, but you know, when you're young like that, and you're dealing with a, a society that that respects, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, basically people who are nearly senile, you know, uh, to to run the place, um, uh, it's 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 rare, uh, and it can it can be risky. But he is basically admitting that he recognizes the problems. Uh, that's why you had the scene where the uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, true to its old form. Uh, would not uh, issue visas for the Israeli, uh, you know, chess team because uh, uh, the Saudis are hosting a major, you know, international chess federation recognized, you know, tournament. They let Iran in, but they wouldn't let the Israelis in. I'm sure there were profuse apologies, you know, under the table, as it were. Um, but that's just the recognition that you can't just turn off, you know, decades and decades of really extreme propaganda. Um uh, which many in the West have adopted uh, as part of their you know, the researches of anti-Semitism in the West, um, but um, you know at least they recognize it's a problem. Now another side effect of that is, and our current uh, U.S. Uh, president and, and the government is is is, uh, is joining in on this, is uh, the Palestinians abandoned. I mean the Palestinians are hopeless. I mean they were the they they were the one Arab group. I think the phrase. Uh, never miss an, missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity uh, was, was applied to. Uh, they've always taken the wrong turn. Now, they were encouraged initially by the, the Arab world who said, hey, this is only temporary. And the Arab world is responsible for strong arming the UN into making the Palestinians alone in the world. They're the sole exception since the UN was formed of becoming hereditary refugees. Uh, you, know, with, you know, there were tens of, like, 40, 50 million people were displaced 
after World War II, and they all found new homes, new citizenship in many cases, except for the Palestinians. Uh, and now, it, you know, the United States, which has paid for most of that, billions of dollars, and most of it came from the United States, which now the Palestinians deny ever existed. You see what I mean? I mean, it's just absurd. Um, and um, and there's no reform movement really going in uh, in in the among the Palestinians because they always had, you know, unique among you know uh, long-term uh, uh, refugee groups. They always had the opportunity uh, to uh, basically move, and many have become citizens of other countries, including the United States. Uh, but they always retain their their right of return, as it were. There's five or six million of them. They, nobody even has an accurate count, including the UN. But this is something that uh, the Arabs quietly and then now out loud are telling them: no more money, no more support. Shape up, or you're you're, you're dead. Well, you're already dead because you know the Arabs basically cut them off, primarily because the uh, the uh, half the uh, uh, the Palestinians. There are two governments which theoretically united last October, but they didn't. That's Hamas. A, a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in Gaza, and the uh, the extremely corrupt, even by Palestinian standards, you know Fatah in the West Bank. The uh, the, uh, the the Hamas has basically started taking uh, most of their their foreign aid from uh, uh, Iran again, and uh, a lot of it's going into military you know preparations. Although they they denied that they're doing that, and, but you know it's the same old song and dance, and the Arabs aren't putting up with it anymore. And judging from the month-long, you know, uh, uh, riots and demonstrations in Iran, most Iranians aren't either. And that's quite true. You know, the word on the street, you know, you can still get messages in and out via the Internet in Iran. There's still international communications. Um, is that this was a major factor. And, that, and in fact, a major factor why the, the, the base, you know, the 20 or 30 percent of the Iranian population who've always supported the religious dictatorship, they were out there rioting. Basically fed up with the you know the religious dictatorship and mismanagement and corruption, but also the fact that they were uh, that that they were supporting these uh, these Sunni uh, you know uh, Palestinians, the Muslim Brotherhood is Sunni uh, in, in in Gaza, and uh, while you know Iranians are going without, so there you go. Uh, what goes around comes around. Uh, the Philippines. Uh, basically, you know, uh, got their act together with internal uh, rebellions and unrest. Uh, the Philippines has had problems like this from the beginning. I mean, even before this, this well, the country wasn't unified in any way, shape, or form until the Spanish showed up. Uh, and that's one thing you can say for colonialism. Uh, they set boundaries as a war, which after they leave, nobody wants to change. But the problem that you always had in the Philippines was in the south, you had a, a Muslim minority. And there were a few percent of the population, but these are the infamous Moros that the, the United States was fighting, you know, in the wake of the Spanish-American War when we, we basically took over custody of uh, uh, the Philippines and then set it free on schedule, well, one year late because of World War II. Uh, you know, in 1945, um, but the uh, the Filipinos finally made a peace deal with that. Now it hasn't hasn't passed Congress, but the current government, the current president there, is wheeling and dealing and trying to get it through, <clears throat> along with a bunch of other reforms. But they finally managed that. Now the other thing they're working on is the corruption. The corruption is endemic uh, in in Southeast Asia, and it and and. And the well, it's it's not as bad in some countries as it is in others, but it's crippled the Filipino economy, which should be thriving. It should be one of the most prosperous, you know, economies there because they have a, they have a, a better educated population. Another another legacy of the colonial period that they lingu uh, English is a second language. You got to be careful because they slip in a little tagalog while you're not looking. They even do that in in the in the English language uh, websites. <laughs> uh, and I've learned a little tagalog because of that. But he'd be that as it may. Um, they uh, they 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 mainly educate all these people, and they export most of them elsewhere. Uh, a lot of the doctors and nurses, you know, come to the United States. Uh, engineers go here, go here because there's no work in the Philippines because of the corruption. And that's been an issue. It's been a it's it's been a big issue, but it's finally making some progress. All right. Then we have Iran hits a wall. Now this we basically. Covered <laughs> the Iran 
uh, has been a religious dictatorship since the uh, the the basically the the senior Shia clerics snuck it in literally in the 1980s. I mean, the revolution in 1979 against the Shah was uh, quite you know, and I was an adult at the time, and I was covering this closely, uh, and um, they. Uh, uh, Sure, they were throwing out an American, you know, ally, the Shah, as it were. Um, but technically, we were allies with everybody—not allies, but you know, we had diplomatic relations and what have you, even with Saddam. Um, but the Shah was particularly fond of what was going on in the United States, and they were the most educated group, uh, or the most, you know, serious about education in in the in the Persian Gulf area. Uh, they were turning out lots of engineers, scientific people, and what have you. Um, and bingo, there's a revolution against the Shah because he was a bit of a turkey, not like his father, who started that dynasty, as it were. Uh, and the um, uh, uh, and, and Saddam screwed that up by invading Iran, figuring he grabbed their oil production areas, which were in a uh, along the uh, the border with uh, uh, Kuwait and uh, and uh, Iraq. Uh, and they were basically in a part of Iran which has which is dominated by their Arab minority, Arabistan, or they've changed the name since then. Anyway, Kuz- that, Kuzestan, Kuzestan is the name yeah, they yeah, used for yeah, it. But right? it used to be it used to be Arabistan, so there was no mistake for the hell lived there. But anyway, the um, the Arabs and the Iranians never got along, and Iraq, you know, Saddam figured, hey, this is a snap, uh, you know, slam dunk. It wasn't, and and one of the side effects of that, which is generally forgotten. Because I watched it unfold. I had friends who had, you know, friends, you know, uh, there who got shot, you know, who were who were in the first, you know, the democratic government. But then, as the as the war went on and the and the clergy became more powerful, these guys suddenly were traitors and being executed and what have you. So I got blow by blow, up close and personal <laughs> accounts of what was going on uh, with the uh, uh, the Iranian Revolution. Uh, and now a lot of the the, the uh, basically the uh, uh, the Iranian uprising of, uh, of uh, uh, 2017, which was almost eight years to the day after the one in, in 2009, where there was a, a nationwide uh, protest against the, uh, the the rigging of the election, because they have they, technically they have a democracy, but the the, uh, the 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 Council of Elders, as it were, the senior uh, Shia clergy, uh, have veto power. Uh, over the uh, anybody who can who can uh, who can uh, run for office. In other words, they can decide who is a, a a good Muslim. And if they decide they don't like you for political reasons, they can simply say you're a bad Muslim. Uh, there's no appeal to that because the next step from them is God, uh, Allah. And uh, and using this, they have very cleverly established a theocracy. Uh, you have religious police. Uh, now they were aware of this, but they couldn't deal with it. There, there was there, there was some infighting in in uh, in in uh, in the religious uh, aristocracy, which is aristocracy, the you know the government, senior government, uh, which gets misreported in the West. There's talk about moderates and radicals. No, no, no. The religious, <laughs> all the senior you know uh, uh, people, uh, <coughs> uh, Shia uh, clerics are all for this business of the you know the clerics. Uh, the 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 the, uh, the clergy uh, running the country. There's no disagreement among them about that. Uh, they're simply about how much uh, how much how, how old school do you get? You know the religious police. The oh, and corruption was always a big deal because the uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the the religious parties ended up. Uh, or the religious families, as it were, because their clergy gets married and has lots of kids. Um, they uh, they basically appropriated all the wealth of the Shah, who, as any good monarch does, owns a lot of the country and the uh, in the economy. But also his supporters, most of them who fled, couldn't take much money with them, and so they basically replaced one aristocracy with another. Uh, and so you have a problem there, which has been festering. Uh, you know, and now they want to get nukes and what have you, and, and they have ballistic missiles. So uh, Iran hit a wall, and that was a thing that was, a, you know, a long time coming. So that was our tent. Plus, Austin made a case for Korea, but like I say, you know, my footnote, Austin's footnote is that Korea isn't a military threat in and of itself. 
it's a military threat because of what China might do. China is the one that pulls theoretically the strings in uh, in in uh, in North Korea. It used to be it used to be uh, Russia. One of the things that came out of the uh, the end of the Cold War when the archives were opened in Russia for a few years, uh, a documentation showing that indeed it was Stalin who told Kim, who was basically a, a Russian-backed, uh, you know, uh, a Korean, ethnic Korean communist, uh, you will go in. And then he basically uh, uh, sent back the, uh, the Chinese communists, say, hey, look, you got to help your, your brothers out there because – and the Chinese never forgot this. That's why we – another thing uh, Austin and I have done in our books on the quick and dirty God's wars about the uh, China-Russia situation, we pointed out starting back in the 80s, that, you know, (laughs) China has a lot of land claims in what is now eastern Russia, and Chinese haven't forgotten, and the Russians haven't forgotten that the Chinese haven't forgotten. They just don't talk about it, but that will not make it go away. So that's going to be in the top 10 (laughs) of the, you know, future, you know, potential wars real soon now, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. That was the year that was. All right. Yeah, let let me uh – just a, 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 a couple of uh, uh, com- uh, comments on, on what uh, Jim said. Way, way back there, he mentioned the Turks acquiring an uh, island in, in the Red Sea or along the Red Sea of Sudan. This is uh, Swalin Island. Uh, there's a lot of reason to think that the Egyptian reaction, it's the Egyptian reaction uh, to the uh, Turkish deal, called the island deal now we it's already been up in a, in a sudan update that's yes that's, that's fairly right. fairly recent and i think it's either either the first or second uh, in the uh, in the up, update i'm just uh, mentioning it so that listeners can go can go check it out because the little summary there gives you uh the the practical background on this uh on this island it's first of all the, the the land uh, and it, it's not a, this isn't included in the update but uh, but Jim the the operative area that would be turned into a dock and have all this is is uh, my, my understanding about a square kilometer or less and as a matter of fact the, the major area where the dock is is a, you know about a 500 by 500 meter piece of uh, a piece of land you can go look at this island. Uh, you know, on 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 Google Earth, it's the the, the place is south of uh, of Port Sudan. So find it, go down the coast, and then you'll see it. And it's usually spelled in English with a S U A U L I N, sometimes with a with a W uh, with a W in it. What it was in the 18th and 19th century was a, a kind of an a, an Ottoman Empire. Uh, luxury resort. Well, it was a resort on the road if you were going to uh, be a a pilgrim to Mecca, because it's right across uh, the, Re- the, uh, the Red Sea from the from uh, the uh, uh, ports that uh, take you to uh, Mecca and, and Medina. And According to several things I've read, and I even went and when I was looking into this, found a couple of pictures of what the ruins look like. It was a rather attractive Ottoman town, but has been in completely ruined since the 19-teens, uh, which is 100 years ago. In other words, World War One, And the uh, Turks were interested for a number of reasons, and it could well, there could be a, a security element to it, no doubt about that, because they want the dock that they intend to build there to be able to handle ships, uh, uh, warships, as well as, uh, as, as commercial traffic. But the, the Turks, for a number of reasons, wanted to, wanted to put money into Sudan now that the sanctions are being lifted. They, they say that they see this as a, as a, a real uh, in, investment opportunity. And this is something that uh, parts of the Turkish business community have been, in, have been interested in doing. Now, I don't know that I buy all that. As everyone who follows what I write about Turkey knows, uh, I'm highly suspicious of Prime Minister Erdogan, with good reason. He's, uh, he's been a, 
a, a bad actor, and I think quite clearly he used the uh, very suspicious uh, uh, coup d'etat engineered against him as an opportunity to purge uh, 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 purge not just supporters of uh, some of the uh, uh, Islamic group, the Gulenists uh, that he claimed or engineered the coup, but also uh, the Kemalists in the in the country, uh, political op- uh, opposition. But that's the Swalin Island, uh, and it's, again, it's, you'll hear the pronunciation as Swalin or Suwalin. Uh, you, you check it out on the web and go to one of the pronunciation guides, and you'll hear both. But uh, it's, uh, that's what's going on with this, uh, uh, and part of what Sudan is up to is trying to find uh, political friends, diplomatic support for its struggle with Egypt over a contested ter- piece of territory uh, that's uh, along, the, uh, uh, along the Red Sea. It's uh, what the hell out of Halayab? Triangle, I think. Yeah. I just, I'm just, I'm just mentioning that. It's again, it's, it's. This is not a big deal, but it is. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing we cover on Strategy Page. It certainly doesn't rate as one of the top ten things of 2017 and a, a threat into 2018, but it does deal with territory, and I'll co- get back to that in a minute. That Korea. Here's the difference between Jim and me. It's not really a difference on it is that I've, I've focused on the accelerated weapons program that really began in 2011, and you certainly see it in 2012 with, with the uh, number of missile tests, an increasing number of, of, uh, of, and of nuclear tests uh, by North Korea. They're, 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 they're acquiring a, a long-range strategic uh, nuclear weapons capability. And certainly to go with it, they have a, uh, the uh, threat and belligerency and belligerent, belligerent attitude. I can come up with, and I have, and we've discussed, and Jim and I have discussed them over the years, uh, scenarios where uh, a Korean war breaks out that, that China had no say over. You have the, some of the conditions, and it has to deal with the brittleness of the uh, North Korean regime, and something else we have seen, South Korea and Japan reaching a point is we're not going to coddle you anymore because all you do is take our money. And we've, uh, as the South Koreans are glad to point out, we've won the Korean War in every dimension except the military one. And we've largely won it in that except that North Korea has uh, acquired uh, nuclear weapons and claims it has the will to use them. So. Well, maybe we need a nuclear weapon. South Korea doesn't want one, nor does Japan. But that's also something that gives China pause, and well, it should. So I see the Korean action last year, particularly with the uh, decision, and it wasn't just a decision made in Washington. It was one in Tokyo and Seoul as well. It was just articulated in the way Secretary of State Tillerson stated it was – Uh, strategic patience is over. And uh, that's almost a direct quote from early March of 2017. So that's the end of strategic patience is why I say Korea was a a big deal last year. So the difference, the the argument, though, that Austin and Jim have is is really, here's here's where Jim's point, and he's already made it. He says, Austin, you know, the bigger problem here is China. Because uh, China is the only, uh, you know, China's the, really the only country that has any real uh, grip, any real ability to influence North Korea, pos- positively and negatively. I don't disagree with that. I just see that, that North Korea has uh, uh, acquired, uh, is, is in the process of acquiring and demonstrating the ability to hit Honolulu. Uh, Vancouver, Canada, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, and perhaps a little further with uh, a, a nuclear device that uh, the estimates on it range from anywhere 20 kilotons to 100 kilotons. I saw somebody saying, oh, they can do 150. Okay. But we're still talking with at, at 
15 to 20 kilotons, a, a Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, type device. It can do a lot of damage. Have they, getting, not to get into the technical weeds, but they are working on being able for, uh, to have it uh, survive reentry and, and burst over target. And if you don't think this doesn't have a political effect, domestic political effect, in South Korea, Tokyo, and the United States, then you didn't pay attention to the Honolulu, Hawaii, the Hawaii fiasco with the false alarm. So anyway, that's that's my, the the expansion on on South Korea. But here is something that is big, and I see this happening now. And my column, my creator syndicate column this week, addressed it again. It's only about the fifth or sixth I've written on it since 2010, uh, and that's South China Sea. And the column this week, and then I'm just using the the the, the current. Uh, incident uh, uh, as uh, an a, example of what how, how large this problem is deals with the incident I think it took place on January 17th the USS Hopper uh, ballistic missile defense destroyer uh, Arleigh Burke uh, Aegis class uh, sailed near uh, Scarborough Shoal now I commend a, a strategy page update that Jim wrote uh, what is this, probably five or six years ago, one of, one of the great all-time titles, Are You Going to Scarborough Shoal, which was a ripoff from Simon and Garfunkel's Are You Going to Scarborough Fair is, uh, and, uh, is what it was. And it, 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 but that, that update that, that Jim wrote was uh, described the problems that had, uh, were developing around Scarborough Shoal, which is well within the Philippines' Uh, EEZ, uh, Exclusive Economic Zone, Maritime Zone, that's, that's defined by international law. Actually, it's where it's located, it's within what has been since at least the late 16th and certainly the early 17th century recognized as Filipino territory. That's where this sea feature is located, Scarborough Shoal. Uh, it's a reef in the South China Sea. China moved in first with uh, fishermen, as I recall, illegal fishing, and then suddenly they're in with their Coast Guard and their Navy and uh, uh, forced the Filipinos out. It was bilateral. In other words, China was bullying the Philippines. That's why China takes the attitude that it will solve problems in the South China Sea on a bilateral basis. It doesn't want the U.S. in there. It doesn't want the Philippines aligning with uh, Singapore, uh, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, and Brunei, and Malaysia. Well, that's kind of happening anyway because of the Chinese uh, imperialism. And it is a, ter a territorial acquisition. Well, Scarborough Shoals, since uh, roughly 20, uh, uh, 2012, has become, the China claims, it is now sovereign Chinese territory and demands that uh, ships that pass within 12 miles of it, since it's sovereign Chinese territory, uh, they, re they, uh, they require permission. The uh, U.S. Navy says no. Uh, freedom of navigation operations. By the way, I read this morning that the Pentagon is not calling it, as I say in my column, a, a FONOP, freedom of navigation operation. It was simply an innocent passage uh, because there's nothing there that is Chinese at all, other than uh, some Chinese presence on a, a built-up area. And China, I'm not sure how far it's advanced, but China, a couple of years ago, and, and it was in 2016, began developmental activity. What that means is, is they're building an island, as they have done in elsewhere in the Spratly Islands and in the Paracel Islands. And the Paracels are up uh, closer, uh, closer to Vietnam. It's a territorial grab. Uh, China's even published a, 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 a maritime boundary that it claims, the so-called nine-dash line that dips all the way down to Borneo. Uh, it's, out, it, it, it's an outrageous imperialist grab that has, unlike some of the claims, and, and this is that Jim mentioned, China has uh, in Siberia and the, the Russian Far East, which do have some historical validity. This 
nine dash line is is uh, it's it's vaporware. And the Philippines had uh, a uh, decision by the uh, International Court of Arbitration in, in, in the Hague that virtually uh, said that what China uh, accused, accused China of robbery, uh, not accusing, convicted them of, of robbery and, and theft in the South China Sea fishing rights uh, territory. And uh, here you had an international court say all, all the law is on the Philippine side, and China has just ignored it. Uh, in other words, China is, is saying uh, what we want is ours, classic imperialism, and we have the power to take it. Now, as they've advanced further south, where are they going? Are they headed to the Straits of Malacca and Singapore? And they're colliding with U.S. power, U.S. power with a building co a coalition of Southeast Asian nations. Uh, that's another th thing that's occurring this week is Secretary of Defense Mattis visiting with Indonesia and the U.S. changing its policies that have been penalizing Indonesia for misbehavior to uh, encourage Indonesia to uh, improve its uh, its defense forces, which is something Indo Indonesia wants, because they've encountered the quote-unquote invading Chinese fishermen problem. Uh, I think Jim and I actually talked about this on a strategy talk a couple of years ago where the Indonesians were making a deal of blowing up some of their fishing boats, of the fishing boats they captured. They weren't all Chinese, but they were trying to put down a marker and say, don't come in here and fish illegally. If you want to fish, you know, apply for a rights uh, to come in and fish on our fishing grounds. Uh, there are ways to do it legally. Don't uh, don't poach on it. Well, in in a sense, as the Philippines uh, have and the Vietnamese accused the Chinese of uh, of, of uh, theft of resources, and they've got a they've got a real case. These Chinese islands, by the way, they don't just stay islands with just a few buildings on them. Uh, several have been topped off with air bases capable of handling uh, uh, strike aircraft, uh, and essentially they're they're uh, aircraft carriers is what they uh, 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 they amount to. Now, can they be just to presuppose a, a, a conflict? Can they be taken out <coughs> fairly quickly? At the moment, yes, because as Jim points out in his updates on the on Chinese uh, naval capabilities, long-range air capabilities, uh, they're, they're isolated out there and they can be uh, taken out fairly. Fairly qu uh, uh, quickly, but that isn't always going to be the case as China continues to improve uh, its navy and and uh, uh, and air forces. All right, so the South China Sea, that's that's huge. It's huge right now, and it's getting bigger. Collision between the number one and number two power uh, in the world. Tied into this as well. Jim hinted at this a, a, a little bit, certainly something we've talked about in the past, and that's China's uh, collision with India. There were incidents in 2016 and, and a couple of serious ones in mid-2017. And that, what's the Doklam area, Jim? Isn't that yeah. it? That, that's yeah. one of them. But there was it's also it, the... The sorry, Tibet border, basically the Tibet yeah. border. Well, it's right in there, that Bhutan Sakim in, in that, but there... There, there's uh, there's also a, a couple of other contested areas uh, out uh, in the uh, where India, Pakistan, and and, uh, and and China meet, or, or should I say, uh, Tibet. Uh, well, that goes back to 1950 and Mao's grab of Tibet when he he claimed you know it's traditional Chinese territory. Lots of Tibetans still uh, disagree with that. But 1962, Sino-Indian War. Still not fully settled. There were attempts 10 years ago to try to uh, uh, negotiate a final settlement. Those uh, they, they came close, came close again about five years ago. Let's let's demarcate this and just uh, and we'll all uh, all agree it's it's uh, uh, the deeds done. China would have gained some uh, ter territory in those high Himalayan passes. But after the behavior in the South China Sea, the Indians look at it and say the Chinese, when it comes to the territorial grab, they don't, they don't live up to the contract. Why do it's why negotiate? Look what they're look what they're doing in the uh, 
uh, South China Sea, and and there's a increasingly throughout this well not increasingly it's it's totally evident in southeast asia uh, and see it somewhat in the in the defense and di diplomatic circles uh in, in in india is they point to that uh court ruling on uh, uh that the philippines got uh at the hague and say look china's done nothing except Turn around and say, we will solve this bilaterally with Beijing talking to Manila, and we'll bilaterally Beijing talking to Hanoi, and the Vietnamese say, no, we're not going to play that game. Uh, we want to cooperate with the Philippines. Uh, the, the Vietnamese, everybody knows, the Vietnamese are trying to get the United States to become their 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 big buddy, and uh, I don't know that the U.S. is quite ready to do it, but uh, the Vietnamese certainly are because uh, they, they say they're, they're even saying now we're a frontline state okay I'm not I think that's they're not quite South Korea but that's that's one of the ways they're trying to uh, well, they certainly feel that way when they come up against uh, 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 against China now do I see all of this leading to would would this count as World War three or World War four uh, it could it would certainly look just the number one and number two economic powers. Uh, I'm not quite sure how you would measure military power. You still have to, uh, to factor in Russia at this point, but China is, is certainly gaining. I know Jim and I can debate that. There are all kinds of dimensions of military power. China's got all kinds of internal power, uh, in, internal problems. It's got all kinds of enemies, and I use that advisedly adversaries on its borders including the russians uh so it's 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 ability to project power is at at the moment it is diminished by all of these challenges it faces i realize that but south china sea dan and jim you, I, you make your comments here i'm gonna i'm gonna want out the south china sea is an invasion concrete example of invasion and literally using concrete and rocks dredges and construction crews to build territory on sea features that are not habitable and never have been and are have a very clear definition in in international international law and also in in maritime uh, maritime agreements and they build an island there and say this island is as much China as Shanghai, and that's 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 it, it, it's ridiculous. And then the next thing you know, within two years, the island has uh, surface-to-air missiles, sh uh, surface uh, anti-ship missiles, and uh, strike aircraft, long-range strike aircraft, on top of it. They've uh, built an aircraft carrier, and it's marching towards the Straits of Malacca. So I see that. As a huge problem for 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, and and so forth, unless and the, the problem lies with with Beijing. Yep, I think you wrote an excellent uh, column on on point on this. I really enjoyed it, so I encourage our readers to go look at that. I, I want to hear Jim's comeback on that real quick, even though I know we've been going for a while on this, but this is a big one. Uh, no, one thing one thing I'd add is that what's driving all of this. Is, is domestic politics. The uh, the Chinese Communist government is basically just another, you know, dynasty in, in a long, you know, uh, the thousands of years of, of Chinese imperial, you know, the, you know, feudal, you know, rule, as it were. Um, and uh, this, and when you read internal, you know, uh, conversations, and again, it's easy to speak with, you know, via the internet or what have you, or in my business, you know, I was able to get on the phone and talk to Chinese over there, business-wise. Um, they take great pride in the fact that the China is now the major superpower that it always was for thousands of years. Now, they misinterpret that history. There are debates over just how big China was, but China was always the major power over there. They were often disunited. And they make a big deal of how they united themselves. They kept united. And this brings up another point, which I think is telling in the differences between China and the West. In China, the, 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 the favorite strategy game is Go, which is a game of surrounding, 
of you know uh, you know eating away as it were. Chess is based on you know battles, you know straight up real battles. There's strategy involved and what have you, but there's a fundamental difference in approach to it. The Chinese public, <clears throat> you know, they're very nationalistic. I mean, they they really get, especially the young gener younger generation. They say, yeah, it's about time. And the way China hangs on to power, they have the corruption problem. You know, they're an illegitimate dynasty, as it were, as some Chinese point out quietly inside of China, at least. Um, and the uh, uh, that the, uh, the the Chinese basically the government, although they're not a democracy, they realize that they have they have created this middle class, this highly educated class, which is unique in Chinese history. And as we know from the history of the West, you know the Industrial Revolution, what have you, that changes everything politically. It basically you know eliminated you know the uh, the you know the the absolute monarchies and what have you, first constitutional monarchies, now with a few exceptions. The, the monarchies are completely gone. Um, the Chinese pay attention to that, and they're basically trying to avoid the fate of the other empires, as it were. Uh, and they realize you've got to keep the people happy. You've got to make them feel good about you know uh, living in a police state. Um, and it's it's it, it can be done. <laughs> you know they're doing it. Um, and uh, so a lot of what they're doing, like in the South China Sea. It really, ultimately, it's kind of productive, you know, in an economic sense because they can't afford a war, even in, even rumors of war, as it was, serious, you know, uh, discussions of war because their economy now, unlike in the past, is dependent upon exports, import, export, not just export, but imports. They got to bring in a lot of raw materials, and if that collapses, if the economy collapses, the dynasty collapses because they basically, the, the Communist Party of China made a big bet in the 1980s after they realized that this, this pure Maoism is not going to work. They realized it before anybody else did. Uh, that they said, well, what the hell do we do? You know, the, the economy's a mess. You know, the, our, our, our military's, you know, uh, a mess. Everything's a mess. And they basically you know, said, well, let's, let's go back to a market economy. And, and if anybody can pull it off, we can. I mean, the Chinese are very able. They're very capable <laughs> Uh, they, they do stupid things, but doesn't everybody? Uh, they uh, and they basically uh, allowed a, a market economy uh, to grow up uh, in, a, in a in a police state, uh, and that's what they've been advising Korea to do. The Koreans blow them off for again domestic politics, um, uh, but it's, it's to a large extent it's what the what the you know, what the uh, Japanese did, you know, when they basically went from uh, from feudalism. To the industrial revolution, like in two generations. I mean, that's unheard of. Just goes to show you what people are capable of, and it's all a matter of culture and local politics. So a lot of what they're doing with India and eventually with Russia, right now it's more convenient for China to have Russia as a quote ally unquote. But you know, <laughs> it, it it bugs the Russians no end at who the junior partner is in this you know this uh, alliance. Um, they uh, they're doing it basically to stay in power. Not to not to get any more territory. They don't need control. They have, by their economic power alone, they have as much control uh, that they need of the South China Sea, which the United States points out. But logic has nothing to do with it. As one American politician, or more than one American politician, pointed out, all politics is local. And when you start thinking big, and you lose track of the local politics, you're in big trouble. Uh, ask the Democratic Party in the United States about that. Uh, but China is another example of it, uh, and Iran is another example where the, the, the you know the uh, the religious dictatorship uh, you know uh, basically uh, spent too much time looking overseas and and let their backyard you know basically go to hell, and that's a mistake you can't afford to make if you have nuclear weapons. The uh, column makes the point about the, the nationalist appeal, and I do do tie it to that. That's probably what I, I should have said that in my which one reason I wanted to. You know, have a conversation with you about it. Is that they? You can see this, and I say in the column over the last 20 years, the last two decades, it really starts. And Jim, I think you'll ratify this in the 1980s, along yeah. with where the four modernizations are picking up. This increasingly nationalist appeal by the Communist Party. It's not internationalist. It's Chinese identity, and as you say, a revival of a dynasty. And this expansion down there. 
claiming, you know, rights from the 14th century. Uh, we're go I'm going to grant them that they've got real historical arguments to a lot of things in Siberia. I said that. But the South China Sea stuff, vaporware. Hey, guys, we got to go. All, All right. right. We'll wrap it up there, and we'll see you gentlemen next time. Take okay. care. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.